says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet, the preview edition this week. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down all the action coming to you from Magic Round is my good mate, 60s. Always a pleasure, champ. How are you doing this week? Doing really well, mate, and looking forward to Magic Round, although we do have those global buys in the lower grades, mm-hmm. so the preview is uh, certainly a little less full on this week, but uh, there's plenty to talk about, a bit of fun to be had in this podcast, so looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, all the action, all the NRL action, sorry, up at Suncorp means that there is no low-grade action, so we're talking no New South Wales Cup, no Jersey flag, no Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership, they're all got the week off, uh, and like we said, it's all up in uh, Brisbane for three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the Eels taking part in Magic Ground on Sunday, second last game. We'll talk about the concerns that come with that, given that there's meant to be some uh, minor inclement weather coming towards Brisbane. Uh, but for now, we've got some other stuff to pack out the show. We're going to talk to Spiro shortly, but we've also got some NRL news for the Parramatta Eels. going to play a game of uh, which is better or what is better, and then we'll get into the preview. So let you take it away from here, mate. Mate, as always, there's plenty of talking topics around not just Parramatta, but the NRL. Who better to bring it in than our man behind the mic, Spiro Christopoulos. Welcome back to the tip sheet, mate. Lovely to be chatting, guys. And I don't think I've looked forward to speaking on the podcast more than I have this week after last week's absolute uh, huge win out at the foot of the mountains. Mate, what's your takes from the game? It was brilliant. I was out there with the continuous call team in the box. It's the first time... I've covered a Parramatta game with the media at the ground, so it was a fantastic experience. But, boy, it was the first time we've put together a full 80-minute performance this year, and it's probably one of the best performances I think we've seen from Parramatta over the last couple of years all round. I mean, the win against Melbourne earlier in the season was great, but this one, there was something special about it. We broke that streak. Uh, We beat Penrith at home. We handed them their first loss since they won the grand final. And a lot of people have forgotten about that, but it was just such a comprehensive performance. We were in the fight. We were in the battle for the full 80 minutes, and we just never gave up. And I was so impressed by a lot of players and their efforts and the way that they showed up at Penrith ready to win and focused and determined. Reid Marnie was a standout for me. I mean, boy, oh, boy. He's just fantastic week in, week out. His defensive efforts, and there was one set, in the first half there, where he had a hand in four out of five tackles in a set. Now, I don't think I've seen that from a player in a long time. So, Reedy was brilliant. His grit and determination. I like the fire in the belly a little bit from everyone. They they really took it to Penrith, a good bit of rivalry. So, I was very, very happy, guys, with that performance all around. I'm I'm curious as to the the behind-the-scenes take from uh, the media that was there. Was it... was the media surprised with what Parramatta delivered? I think they were. At halftime, there was a little bit of chit-chatter about that controversial knock-on from Billy Army Kikau, which was absolutely terrible from the refereeing. I actually spoke to someone from New South Wales Rugby League refereeing who was helping with the officiating on the night, and he confirmed and agreed to me that it was the wrong call and they made the incorrect decision on that. So there was a little bit of disappointment, I mean, from people in the media saying Parramatta should have gone up at halftime rather than the scores being level. 
But I think on the whole, everyone was surprised. We all know what Parramatta are capable of. Dylan Brown said it post-match, and we all know that they can take it to these big teams and they step up for big games. But there was certainly a lot of uh, hype and shock from the media given Penrith's fantastic record at home. So you're right about that, 60s. There was a lot of vibe and a lot of hype and surprise amongst the media, but not me. I knew... We're going to get out there, do the job, and get the win. And I think that, that you did. You were very buoyant about that last week. I think Buzz Rothfield yeah. was the other one that sniffed out an upset too on three sixty. He was tipping. He did. Too. He did. You're right. I think it was Thursday night, and I rewinded. I said, "Hang on a minute. I need to watch this again and process it and put it in my head." And I said, "You know what? Buzz does not get it wrong many times. He knows what he's talking about, uh, and he's a fantastic journal and a great." Uh, big part of the game and rugby league scene here in Sydney, and he was spot on, and he picked it, and so did I, and so did you guys. So we're all uh, we're all winners. <laughs> okay, now this does raise the question about uh, consistency. Like Parramatta mm-hmm. is it Parramatta's headspace? What is it? But um, you you know what, what's what's your take on um, what we need to do around consistency? From here, it's just about turning up each and every week with the same mentality mentality we had against Penrith last Friday night. We just have to keep fighting, stay in the contest. I feel that in a lot of the games we play, there are lulls where we sort of drop out and we're not really um, in the contest or in the fight. When we play teams below us, sometimes we're lucky, sometimes we're not as lucky, but we've got to really capitalize. But I think for the Penrith game, we're switched on for the full 80 minutes and that consistency was key, but we just got to roll on with that each and every week. Put a good 80-minute performance together for the next month and then everyone will be talking Parramatta up, and that's what they need to do. Get a few wins under their belt, get a few big wins against the Roosters this week, Manly the week after, and then I think after that, we may have the bye, so we've got one more game and then the bye, but we just need to put some good performances together week on week, and we're sweet, and then you know people will be able to say, well, Parramatta, they're a premiership threat because we know what we're getting week in, week out. So it's just about putting those performances together now, I think. Now, mate, you um, you drew a bit of attention to um, your admiration for Reed Marnie's performance, but I, I want to switch your focus to Ryan Madison because mm. he again came through with a, 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 a close to best on field, if not best on field performance. Um, you know, it's, it's starting to get, it might look a bit tougher for the Eels to keep him. Without a doubt, he's just, I think he's had, had his breakout season at Parramatta last year. He had his concussion injuries and he's had his injury plagues the last couple of seasons. But this year, he looks really fit. He looks in great form. And I just think his efforts, he's really wearing his heart on his sleeve. He's playing for a contract as well, don't forget, guys. And we all know what happens when players, uh, uh, they've got a contract on the line. But he's just playing some great football. And, and that's what we've been all waiting to see from Matto. That style that he was playing at the Roosters when they were a premiership threat in, you know, 2018 uh, and Maddo was a part of that side. So it's finally good to see that form out of him. It's disappointing the rumours that are circulating at the moment via News Corp that he was potentially, he could be potentially on the way to the Dolphins. Wayne Bennett's looking at recruiting him as one of their marquee men. It's a little bit concerning, but I think at the end of the day, Parramatta are going to keep him because... We're letting go of Isaiah Papali'i, a bit of disappointment uh, this week with news that Britton Nakora is probably going to re-sign with the Sharks. So we need that second rower, back rower um, slot filled. And I think the best way to do that is to secure Madison for another couple of years off the back of his fine form. And as long as he's injury-free, he's got a lot to add to our side. So I really do hope we keep him.
Now, you mentioned before about this being your first opportunity to be uh, working at a Neils game with the continuous mm-hmm. call team um, on Friday night. You were then able to meet a couple of Eels characters out there. That's Can you right. That? 100%. And, and let me just say as well, it was great to be there for all three grades. I enjoyed watching a little bit of the uh, Jersey flag match featuring one of my good friends, Tua Williams, who's playing on the wing. He scored a brilliant first try of the afternoon. He, he stormed over there, which was fantastic. But good to see a few of the young boys. I think it's Dentore Luai, uh, mm-hmm. who usually plays in the halves, who was at fullback. You know, just some, we've got some good young blokes coming through the ranks. Disappointing we couldn't get the result in that match, but a great comeback late in the flag. Disappointing in the um, New South Wales Cup, but I was very lucky to meet a few Parramatta personalities. One of them is uh, the great Pooks. I've seen a lot from him over the years. He's a big fan of the continuous call team. He's good friends with Mark Piggy Riddell, and I, I went over and introduced myself, and I've, uh, I was glad to finally meet him face-to-face. We got a nice photo together. He came up to the box after the game. We enjoyed a bit of a post-game celebration. And unfortunately, there was no food that he could bear. I know that he's, he loves his food and he usually delivers the post-match feed for the boys. But he's promised that at Combank Stadium next Friday when we play Manly, he's going to look after us and the continuous call team. But what a great guy to have as part of your club. He comes, he puts his heart and put heart and soul in everything for Parramatta. And then he goes to work. He went from Penrith to Cumberland City Council, slept there and started a work shift at 2 a.m. as a garber. He's a machine. He's a clubman through and through and someone that everyone needs to get around and acknowledge his efforts. The other one was the great Bocco, Louis Bocos, who I've admired for quite a while. His work is brilliant. He produces some great social media content for the Parramatta Eels Instagram and Twitter and Facebook pages. He's got his own personal page, Bocco6 on Instagram. And he's just an all-round great guy, and I was glad to finally meet him. We had a really good chat, and after the game, the embrace after the win was fantastic. He had just come out of the sheds. He was drooping. He had, you know, beer and water and everything all over his lovely um, uh, lovely trench coat or Parramatta rain jacket. And, um, yeah, we had a great chat, and the messages and the vibe was fantastic. And met a few of the other guys as well. Kate, who works in the digital team and media team. Uh, Nick as well, who works in the photography and social media. So great to meet some of the guys, and it was a fantastic experience for me being able to work in the media uh, with the, the continuous call team at the ground for a Parramatta game. And I can't wait to do it again next week when we play Manly at Combank. Well, mate, you, you certainly mentioned a terrific group of people there at at Parramatta, and uh, yeah, we've known Tooks for a number of years, and um, and and um, Bocco's uh, joined the club uh, last year. From uh, I think he was working with the NRL digital Correct. team prior to that, and um, yeah, look, I, I can't speak highly enough about about the people that you've just mentioned, and uh, yeah, Bocco's been Bocco's been great to. Um, to have a bit to do with is obviously as we do a social media page with the um, with the the Cumberland throw. He, he's been great for us to liaise with as the official eels um, content creator. So um, yeah, and, and yeah, as I said, um, Luke Lukey Samet Tooks. He's um, yeah, he's just a, he's a legend at that club. He's a legend legend at the Hills Bulls. Um, he's just mm. one of those blokes who just gives of himself. Now, mate, this big weekend. Uh, magic round. Uh, what what are you looking forward to? 
super exciting. I think the game that everyone's looking forward to the most is Penrith v Storm, Saturday night, 7.30. It's going to be on Channel 9, Fox Sports, 2JB, continuous call team. Everyone's got it. It's the game of the round, maybe game of the year. And we knocked off both these two sides, and no other team in the competition has done that this year. And touch wood, I don't think any other team in the competition will be able to beat both sides at least once this season. So I'm really looking forward to this clash. I think that Melbourne are going to win this one. They're in some really good form, and they look good. They look raring hot. But Parramatta v. The Roosters Sunday afternoon is going to be a good one, as well as that 4 o'clock match, so I'm keen for that. But just having all the games back to back to back, being able to even as a spectator watch a game and have that wonderful spider cam, which I hope Fox League have this year that they had last year and the post-game interviews and the access. And it's just a great round, even as a viewer, to watch it on TV. So I'm really looking forward to it, hoping to get up to Magic Ground next year. But I think next year they should probably take it across the ditch to New Zealand and I'd be up for the trip and I'd love to head across to NZ for the first time and be part of Magic Ground. But well done to the NRL, a great initiative. And if it comes to Sydney next year, I'll be there. If it comes to New Ze- goes to New Zealand, I'll be there. And if it stays in uh, Brisbane, I'll be there as well. So really were looking they, forward to they, this weekend. Were they close to locking that in for Brisbane for one more year? They okay. are. From what I'm hearing, guys, and I mean, there's a little bit of word in the media, and it is public knowledge. But from what I've heard through my links with the NRL, and relevant people there, I think it is going to be locked in for another year. There was talk this week that Sydney were maybe going to secure it. However, I think Brisbane will have it for next year. In my view, the NRL should really give it to the New Zealand uh, locals and give them a a full weekend of rugby league. Do you think... I mean, I've got my doubts that Sydney would embrace Magic Round the way that it's embraced away from New South Wales. That's That's just my thought because... When when all said and done, there's been double headers at ANZ Stadium, which have attracted decent crowds, but not of the like that you you're going to get in Brisbane. Probably not of the like that you'd get over in New Zealand or or, or maybe other locations. So I, I'm not one for moving Magic Round to Sydney. I think it defeats the purpose. I think you've got uh, we've got the tradition in Sydney with the grand final there. I'm happy for Magic Round to stay outside of Sydney. Fair enough. I, uh, I'll stick with you on that one. And it's a good excuse for everyone to have a little trip, a bit of a getaway mid-season. I was really hoping to get up there, but it just didn't align with a few of my friends' uh, university schedule and my schedule. And unfortunately, continuous call team won't, get, won't be going up there. So we'll be doing everything from the interactive studio, thanks to McDonald's this weekend. Now, just before we wrap up, last week we really took a deep dive into retro round and the the potentials that were there have you got any update for us on there have you have you taken the have you taken the bit between the teeth spiro and 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 push the a full-on retro round any update is a good update guys and it's about baby steps we're going to get there eventually but it's week to week we're doing our best i have raised it with a Parramatta tragic who's in the media and the content manager at 2GB. Now, the way that this came up is we were speaking about Magic Round and all the wonderful rounds that the NRL do. And I chimed into this conversation. I said, hang on a minute. My wonderful friends from the Cumberland Throw podcast who do a brilliant job bringing the fans closer to the action for the Parramatta Reels came up with a brilliant suggestion last week to do Retro Round. That's the one round that the NRL are missing out on. So tonight on our Wide World of Sports show, Adam Hawes, 
who you guys know is a tragic Parramatta fan. He is. He a, loves the retro the, around. He's a friend of the throw too. So that's, that's it. 100%. So Adam tonight will be throwing it out there and he'll be putting it, uh, getting a bit of a feel from the listeners as to what they think of retro round and about the hot dogs and the nuts and, you know, all that sort of stuff. In and the shell or sugar-coated. In the shell or sugar-coated. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so keep an ear out. And uh, Adam and I are slowly working away. It's a slow burn. It's like a, a, I like the Greek-style lamb on the spit. That's it's it. like that. It's going to be a slow, slow roast. Got to build the we'll foundations before you can get to and, the, the whole thing. And, 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 Forty, I think we missed out on an opportunity because we didn't do the witches better. Peanuts in the shell or sugar-coated. Maybe we save that for when retro round is That's right, the retro round, which is better, exactly, because there's a whole whole range of uh, then versus now or even just then versus then sort of stuff you can talk about uh, for a which is better retro round edition. Well, mate, I'm almost channeling Big Kev from back in the day with those commercials. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited uh, that, that this is being taken up by uh, 2GB in the discussion tonight. Got a flag carrier. Yeah. We got, we got real traction here. This is, I mean, it's such a, a fun concept, and especially with all those old jerseys that we see, like modern reinterpretations of. We know that Parramatta Eels wear an away mm. kit that is reminiscent of the uh, – no, not an away kit. They have an alternate kit, sorry, reminiscent of the 86 kit. Uh, which you know is very popular among fans, but throwing back to those classic strips that you used to see for all clubs uh, would be very cool. On top of all the other fun that can be done in retro round, hundred percent. It's the one that they're missing, guys. They need one more special round to really cap it off. They do women in league, Indigenous round, multicultural round this year, which was a huge success. Magic round, uh, Berini's Benny's for brain cancer. The one they've got to do and tick it off the list is your uh, retro round, and let's hope it's on the way. And, mate, you're, um, look, there are big things destined ahead for you. As long as you keep when, – whenever you're going to keep dropping the uh, the name, the Cumberland Throw, doors will open for you. <laughs> I can feel I can feel it happening. Uh, <laughs> you're too good, boys. That's oh, it. God. Stick solid to the TCT. That's it. That's it, mate. That's it. <laughs> well, 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 mate, lots to look forward to this weekend. And, uh, again, we look forward to catching up with you again uh, next week. Always lovely to chat. Interesting game against the Roosters this week. It's a test. We need to back up our great performance against Penrith, get the two points, and then move through to a Friday night blockbuster at Combank Stadium against Manly, guys. So go para this week. Oh, quick uh, quick score. Give us a quick score for the game. Uh, quick score. Oh, this is a hard one. I think it's going to be close, like last week. I think para 20-12. to 12. We'll get up. I think Clint Gutherson is going to be man of the match. He was brilliant last week as well. But Gutho for my man of the match. First try scorer this week. I'm going to say Reed Marnie. There you go. There we go. You, Solid you've heard it from Spiro. He's been, he's been spot on with his tips lately, especially uh, being the, uh, the, the one that really twisted everyone's arm to take the Eels last week. So thanks, hey, Spiro. Before, I let you, before, before we go, just quickly, a bit of inside words. So this is a Cumberland Throw exclusive that I am actually doing tipping for Ben Fordham in the 2GB tipping competition this year, right? He, he doesn't really love his footy and he doesn't keep an eye. He likes his footy, but he doesn't keep an eye on all the games and follow all the action. So he said, Spiro, you do my tips this year and, and hopefully we get a good result. So they threw me in round two. Round one, they got one tip out of eight. Someone just did a random selection, and they threw me in the deep end to try and salvage it. I'm slowly crawling 
clawing my way back. Last week, I was a top tipster. I beat Ray Hadley. I beat David Morrow, the big man. Uh, all the 2GB announcers with my tips, I got seven out of eight. And all thanks to that tip that I went with Parramatta. <laughs> I went with my head, but I went with my heart. So I was a top tipster last week thanks to that one, guys. So you got to stick solid with a blue and gold. Mate, that'll, that'll you know, once you, you, you name drop the, the Cumberland throw, you stick solid with the Parramatta Reels, and the world is your oyster. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Enjoy Magic Round. See you, mate. Thanks, guys. And that was another excellent session of going behind the mic with Spiro. As always, a big thanks to our resident 2GB specialist. Uh, but for now, mate, it's time for us to move on and talk some news. News team, assemble! couple bits of pieces of news for the Blonde Gold this week, mate. Starting with uh, a little bit of uh, sort of random, not random, but a more general speculation. I think there was some confirmation from the NRL sources that the Eels have opened up official renegotiations with back rower Ryan Madison, who has been on something of a tear across the last month or so of play, arguably the form back rower of the NRL coming off the bench. Uh, no surprise to see the Eels making moves to consolidate their roster in the back row both in the light of Madison's form as we see him get back to his best after all those concussions and also given their departures in that same position. Yeah, and if you were looking at, the, as you mentioned, the form back rower of the, of the moment, Maddo is right up there. Well, it, it, let's say middle slash uh, back row. Yeah, exactly. Player. Primarily being deployed through that middle role now. Uh, come off the bench to spell, and I say spell Nathan Brown, but he's playing huge minutes now, so he's almost been a primary middle off the bench. Uh, what we saw against the Penrith Panthers, still effective on that edge with that sen- uh, sensational try he scored off the Clinton Gufferson short ball. Yeah, no question that his confidence has returned this year. Understandable last year with the number of concussions and the issues he was having around uh, concussion protocols and injuries that it wasn't his best season. And But this year, he's producing the sort of form that's really his best in the blue and gold jersey. So the question mark will be uh, interest from competitors. Yes. There's a bit of, a bit of mail around about uh, the Dolphins coming in with a fairly substantial offer. Now, if that's the case, we've seen from past experience that the Eels have a bit of a cap on uh, what they are prepared to spend. I mean, we're, I'm not talking about a salary cap. I'm talking about the Eels have their own internal cap beyond which they won't... Uh, Positional valuations, right? They have certain yeah, thresholds that they pay for certain positions. Absolutely. So, And that's probably the best way of putting it, a, a threshold on how much they'll spend for certain positions. And, uh, you know, if the thought would be that if you came in with the sort of offer that was being pushed around for the likes of Marada or Ice uh, last year that secured their contracts with the Warriors and the West Tigers, that you would probably be successful in luring Maddo away from the Eels. I could be wrong. Uh, it, there isn't any sort of mail leaking out of Parramatta with regard to this. This is all uh, us going off what's being reported in the media and on, and on social media. So, um, 
yeah, it's another one of those watch this space thing because Parramatta aren't going to be talking about what's happening in negotiations. No, absolutely not. Yeah, Madison, 27 going on 28 this year. Uh, back to the very best of his form, as we said earlier, with the concussions, knock on wood, uh, hopefully behind him. I think the figure thrown out by the media this week from the Dolphins was a three-year $1.5 million offer. Uh, we're not really sure how you know on the money that mail is, but... Yeah, that that's a a good contract for a player that's probably getting his last big contract, I suppose. You know, Matt will be what thirty one by the time, or going on thirty one by the time that deal comes up. So it'll be interesting to see how the Eels counter offer against what the alleged Dolphins offer is. But definitely something we're going to monitor as it goes on. We know the Eels uh, stick to their guns when it comes to negotiations, and hopefully Madison wants to still be part of the Parramatta Eels and, and continue to build towards a premiership here. And of course, at this particular age. Another factor with the contract would be the length of the contract. Mm-hmm. So if you had, uh, for example, Parramatta maybe offering a similar amount of money or just under, that might be hard to have another club uh, lure him away. However, if the Eels were only offering, for example, a two-year deal, I don't know, I'm just speculating. Oh, yeah, but if, there's if, if, the, all the different things that go into negotiations, yeah. the possibilities, right? And the other thing to factor in, too, is that how much point power do the Dolphins have in regards to both duration and the monetary value of the contract, knowing that you're going to a team that's probably going to uh, not hit the ground running. You know, Wayne Bennett's trying to do his best there, but they've been struggling to pull in uh, not just names, but a cohesive squad at this point. You know, there's still a lot of question marks over their playmaking core, uh, and they're going to have to... You know, figure that out, and so that could be a, a big factor for negotiations for the Eels too. So, yeah. yeah, and the interesting part with that, because there's been a, a bit of talk a, around the Dolphins that they've secured a number of players, but it hasn't been released to the public. Now, if that's the case, do they use uh, a, an assembled squad? Of, you know, let's put it in brackets: a secret assembled squad as a lure to get other players that they're targeting. If I'm a player going to the Dolphins and I'm, say, of the quality of Ryan Madison, I'd be interested in who else they have on their roster because Mm. I'd want to be going to a club that's at the very least competitive and perhaps Wayne Bennett, via his record in the coaching ranks, carries with him enough kudos that players would regard any side that he coaches as being competitive, but you'd still want to know that you're going yeah, to play I, alongside I, quality players. Wayne Bennett, one of the greatest of all time, but I still remember his stint at Newcastle. You know, it's not always top eight, top four for Wayne. The, it the did roster, end in tears there, yeah, didn't it? Exactly. And I know there were some other factors of Nathan Tinkle and whatnot, but you still need to have the roster there and have the troops and the cattle to get the results. So, yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Obviously, I mean, the way he's playing right now, he, Madison would be a huge keep for the Eels. And we talked about those holes in the back row after losing Zai Papali and Murata Niakore. But yeah, keeping Matter would be very, very good. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot to play out there in terms of the negotiations. So we we'll have to wait and see how it all goes. But in terms of signings, we do have a re signing for the Parramatta Eels, not in the NRL, but in the NRLW. The club announcing this week that coach Dean Witters is re upping for the proper 2022 season. Uh, the one that we just had, obviously, was the belated 2021 NRLW season. But So Witters will return to coach the ladies this year again. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of squad they can put around him, uh, given that there's going to be expansion, potentially, I believe, for the 2022 Comp 60s. Uh, no, I think that's the no? 2023. 2023, there you go. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, still, there's uh, some important signings to make. Botil Vetti Welsh recovering from an ACL, so she probably won't be available. So the Eels have to find a new fullback at the very least and, and another marquee player, given how uh, important she was to the team. Yeah. It, it is going to be interesting because you, you've, well, I, I'm wondering what then follows on for 2023. If they're looking to, reassemble a roster again for the 2022 season um what length of contracts are available um with four i believe it's going to be four teams that come in next year you can't expect them to not be able to compete for current players in the nrlw if if you just left that as um you know that every club could lock up the the every current club could lock up their players beyond this uh, upcoming season I, I just think they I, I don't I haven't I could be wrong I haven't read anything about what's happening going forward with regard to those contracts but you'd have to assume that every player becomes a free agent again would that be the case if they're bringing in four new teams I think it would either be full free agency or there'd be uh, a recruit uh, recruiting clause where they're able to sign uh, you can protect certain amount of players on your roster, but you can't protect all your top players, and that allow the other clubs to uh, go out and poach uh, some of the top players outside of, like, say, like the top three. Uh, I don't know that that expansion can be done a couple of different ways, uh, and depends if it's like a protected expansion or just a full expansion. Yeah. So a- again, it, it's these are the uh, teething issues for a, a competition that's going through rapid expansion to be able to deal with because the success of the competition is based on its competitiveness. And if you have, as I said, four new teams coming in, they have to be able to hit the ground running in terms of uh, being competitive with the top teams. And uh, to an, to a large extent, it was a, a competitive season, the uh, deferred 2021 season that we've just had. So hopefully they get it they get it right again. I mean, I think four is pretty big to bring in, in in one season, but PBL, he's all on board with bringing everyone in. As he's, I think he's, he was quoted as saying something like, you know, rather than bringing in two and then another two, if we've got the bids in now, let's just give it, let's just hand out four more licenses. That, so, that, that could, my only concern is it can say a little bit close to what happened to the AFLW or WAFL. Uh, in that they expanded too fast and then lost a lot of the quality of their competition, whereas the NRLW had been handled on a really nice consolidative basis until now. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out, obviously. If they you know, have the talent pool available, and we're starting to see those uh, pathways through the Tasha Gale and beyond the Harvey Norman's Women's Premiership, obviously, uh, really you know, breeding some fertile uh, talent grounds, you know, maybe there is enough talent to go around to still make it a competitive t- um, tournament. And we saw this year, obviously, you mentioned the 2021 uh, season 60s. We had... The Broncos' dominance snapped. We had two new teams in the grand final, the Dragons and the Roosters, with the Roosters taking out the title. So, you know, obviously pointing towards the right direction there for the competition. Yeah. So, and then uh, we are just starting to see the first of the players who are graduates of the Tasha Gale Cup mm-hmm. coming into uh, a couple of the squads. Um, how far the Parramatta uh, ladies are away from 
that becoming a reality. I, I think we're possibly going to see like um, almost like train and trialers um, where maybe a couple of the young players might get a bit of experience in a pre-season mm-hmm. as part of the Eels NRLW squad. That would be exciting for those girls and it would be exciting for the club that they can show pathways in action in the women's game. Yep, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, good to see Dean Witters back. And like we said, we're going to be interested to see how the squad is built for the 2022 season and then obviously rebuilt again as expansion comes for 2023. Uh, before we finish up with the news, it's a quick check-in on the injury report, 60s. I think we talked about it last uh, uh, preview podcast, but just going over it, uh, Murata Kore still on a TBA timeline to return, but there was a little bit of media speculation that he was close to returning or going to return this week. No, be- can I... Um- can I just clear that up? Um, I would suggest that the reason that speculation was around was uh, the media were there at training on Monday and right in front of them at the base of the hill was Murata running and, and stretching out quite well as uh, part of the rehab group. And uh, he was in the same yellow jersey that was being worn by the NRL players for their ah, um, for their opposed session. So I'd suggest that the media were looking at that, looking at Murata moving, um, looking at the rest of the NRL uh, players in the opposed session who were wearing, wearing the yellow shirts and, and, and probably just were trying to put two and two together. But the fact that he was separate from the others and, and still doing his rehab uh, would surely be an indicator to those a little bit more au fait with uh, what happens at training to realise, hang on, he's not, he's not taking part in any sort of opposed work today. It's, mm-hmm. it's unlikely. But I, I, I reckon that's where the speculation came from because there was the contingent of, of media there and you, people would have seen all the news stories and grabs from Eel's training uh, on Monday night and uh, I reckon that's been the the source of that. So the fact he's stretching out is a positive sign, though, which means he'll be back in the near future as opposed to a long-term TBA timeline. Another player of the TBA next to his name still was Wonga Blake, who I think it's going on a month now since he did his MCL against the Gold Coast Titans. We've spoken about it in the past 60s, uh, grade-free MCLs, which are the, uh, the heaviest grade, I believe, tend to carry between four to eight weeks recovery. So he enters sort of the, the earliest window of recovery. But once again, it's one of those ones you sort of play – by year to the extent that you expect it to be on the heavier side rather than the lesser side. Obviously, him coming back would be a big boost to the back line. Elsewhere, we've got Solomon and Iduki due back next week in round 11. Mike Acevo, he's got a still an open window between rounds 12 to 14, but it's good to see him back on a timeline now. And obviously, we won't be seeing Ray Stone and Hayes Dunster again in 2023. Uh, but yeah, that's the injury report there, mate. So uh, Eels slowly getting their troops back in the coming weeks should see uh, a few more names coming back to the fold with the likes of Murata and Wanga in particular before Micah gets back to. Yeah, and of course the other interesting fact there is that from round 11 onwards, the Eels are able to select second players. Tier and development out, players. Yep. Outside those top 30. So if there, are, if there are those that they're interested in using, then that's where we're going to start to see it. Um, and, and this came back to the question marks about Parramatta's selections 
uh, and and the movement of Dylan Brown into the centres rather than elevating um, a player outside the top 30 into the NRL squad. It was a short-term issue and uh, I was all for... If, if they weren't committed to an upgrade for any of the players that were there, then I was... Uh, against the club going using that as a short-term solution. It, it, then they'll be available from round 11 if they have an issue. Um, but they also have two roster spots that are available that they have until the first Monday in August to be able yeah, to. Yeah, it, it's crazy that those two deadlines are so far apart now. Uh, you know, We're so used to June 30 being the, the deadline for any roster additions, but now round 11 you access to a, a full quota of second-tier players, and we know that the Parramatta Eels have got some handy talent in their New South Wales Cup team, so we saw last year Kai Rodwell made a very impressive club debut in round 24, round 25, against the Penrith Panthers, um, but, you know, there's a whole stack of players there. We mentioned Rodwell, you got Brendan Hands, if there's a utility crisis, the dummy half, uh, Ellie Elsgaham is a player that you've uh, sort of earmarked for potential NRL honours either late this year or next year, so there's there's some options there, mate. Yeah, and the player who's a bit of a forgotten player is Offahiki Ogden. Yes, very who, much so. Um, he's, and I, I can tell you that the, to me, he they really seem to have, and I might be imagining it, but they really seem to have changed his body shape since he's arrived at the club. Uh, watching him the other day in the rehab group. I was and watching him move. I won't say that he was. He reminded me of Murata, but I just have the feeling that he might be the player who brings that impact. Well, he he, he played with that year. violence that we say violence, but controlled violence that you really want to see from a player that's hungry for first grade. And he was going on a bit of a tear in the cup before he hurt his shoulder against the Dragons. After he made a big line break too, by the way. He'd um, gone 40, 50 metres downfield and then fell on his shoulder. So, uh, yeah, he was a player that the, the Cup team have desperately missed ever since he went down in that game. And he was a player that you highlighted in the preseason as one of the real movers and shakers. Yeah, he was He was somewhere where, uh, because I knew that there was those roster spots that were available, I I said, how, how long will the Eels be able to ignore what, he, what he's likely to produce? And... Uh, injury, of course, uh, curtailed the impact that he was having in the New South Wales Cup. And it's been, well, how many weeks has that been now? That must be about five, is that about five weeks or something now that he's he's been out of action? Uh, uh, Dragons game, so Titans was four weeks, which means the Dragons would have been about, yeah, about five or six weeks, right? No, it would have been even more maybe. Uh, give me two seconds here. I'm just going to have to quickly pull up the draw. So the Titans has been a month, and then you go back. No, it was five weeks ago, so that was the week before the, the Dragons. Yep. So, yeah, yep, he's, he's yep. been out of action for a while. Uh, obviously, because he's not a top 30 player, you're not privy to uh, suspension injury reports the way you are with the, the full-time contracted players. Uh, but he's part of the rehab group, which means hopefully he's back soon because he, he was, like I said, going on a real tear in Cup and was uh, one of those players that really looked to cut above. Like, not just, you know, good for cup, but like dominant for cup, which is what you want to see from those sort of guys. Absolutely. And they've also had uh, Kai Rodwell under suspension for a couple of weeks. So 
they'll be looking forward, the, the Cup team looking forward to getting him back into the action. So when we've talked about the the injury crisis and how it's affected the NRL team, it's cascaded down mm-hmm. through the lower grades as well because every time a, a, a player is required for first grade, be they, um, you know, in this instance, they've all been top 30. But you, you have to remember that the New South Wales Cup team is also filled with top 30 players who weren't selected in the NRL team. And uh, basically, the more that you are able to fill your New South Wales Cup team with uh, 10 to 12 NRL squad members that aren't required for first grade, then the better off you are. Now, if you look at the the Penrith team last week, I believe the only player that was unavailable across their top 30 was uh, Sorensen. Correct, yeah, because I've got Leota and Brian Toto back. So, yeah, yeah. injury luck just plays such a huge part on going deep into the postseason, doesn't it? And we yeah, saw so I'm, I'm assuming they are also sitting on 28 players. I haven't double-checked it, but mm-hmm. they'd be on 28, 29 at the most. Every club's keeping uh, spots up their sleeve for late additions. Exactly. We, we've just yeah. seen it happen so many times in the last few years. Uh, that mid-season player transfer market really heats up approaching that deadline. Yeah, so assuming that they had uh, 28 players that were available there and, and Sorensen out, you you. You, and I can't remember whether they kept a fresh 18th player or used one of the ones that played in the New South Wales Cup. I'm assuming they used someone from the New South Wales Cup as their as their 18th player. That's just off the top of my head. But you're then looking at them having the potential to put 10, 11 players in their New South Wales Cup team who are part of the NRL full-time squad that hold an NRL contract. And um, unfortunately, the Eels weren't able to do that because they have so many players that were missing from their NRL contracts. So, as I said, the uh, injury crisis cascades through the lower grades, but coming out of it in the next couple of weeks where we'd like to think that Parramatta starts to move towards being able to um, uh, get some of these players back, even... uh, even, players on second-tier deals like, uh, here's another forgotten name, Tony Mattaielli. Yes, I've uh, been waiting for him to come back since hurting himself in the preseason. Another player that was quite impressive during those early workouts, uh, but he did an injury late in the, the preseason process, hasn't been able to take to the field yet. Um, he's another going to be another big boost for the club when he gets back onto the field. Yeah, I, I think he's he's looking at about round 12. Um, my apologies for anyone that's listening. <laughs> to the, uh, the... Finding, finding quiet space here has been at a premium and uh, one of the uh, pet teals that I have has decided to go through his whistling repertoire. Yeah, authentic Aussie bush moment. background noises. That's what we'll, we'll build it as, mate. It's, you know, just a bit of Australiana. <laughs> so uh, I might just, while we're recording this, I just might uh, relocate myself into a position away from uh, said feathered friend and uh, see if we can make sure that we we don't get that um, background noise. Right, the, so the, just the, bu- the bunkers me. interfered with the game. They're intervening. They're calling for a relocation protocol assessment. And uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll have a short break, mandatory uh, respite here as we find a new location for 60s. Now, all done, mate. All oh, done. there we go. See, the, the bunker process here on the tip sheet, flawless. You know, no dramas, yeah. no controversy. We identify a problem and we fix it. That's it. 
Alrighty, we mentioned uh, in the start of this episode it's going to be very light on the previews this week due to that global buy um, underneath all competitions below the NRL. Uh, but in light of that, we're going to play a little game of which is better, mate. Uh, I've got two gladiators entering the arena, uh, one on one side, one on the other, and we're going to compare which one is better. And we're going to see if there's any uh, controversial takes to come out of this. And we're going to start uh, with that food theme that we started uh, with our last game where we talked about our ideal or fantasy fast food menus. This time, I'm going to ask you, which is better, pancakes or waffles? Look, I'll, I'm just going to make this quite easy. I, I reckon it's been rare in my life that I've had waffles, so I'm just going to go straight for the pancakes by default. Yeah, I, I'm the one that actually penned this one in the versus column, and I'm, it's funny because I'm not a big pancake or waffle man. Um, I've definitely had more pancakes in my life uh, than waffles like you, which I think is more of an Australian thing, right? Because waffles, I know they're big in the States. You can have chicken and waffles. You can just have waffles with dessert. Obviously, I think Belgium uh, has, uh, you know, the sort of home of waffles. Uh, I, I like the idea of a waffle, that idea of it being nice and crispy on the outside and then soft and, and doughy on the inside. Uh, but yeah, the fact that I, I don't think I've had a very, very good waffle in Australia probably leans me towards pancakes. Mate, you, the way you were describing it, then you were almost talking me into the, yeah, to, to flip, flip, flip sides. Yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that. I've, I've made the the rare trip to uh, pancakes on the rocks um, when it was uh, first of all the, the the Sydney location, but we do have it nearby at um, in Western Sydney at at I think it might be technically Westmead, but I, I'd call it Northmead down on uh, Brian's corner of Brian's Road and Red Bank Road there at Northmead. So it's nice and close here. Even being there that close for as long as it has, I reckon I've been in there two times in uh, in the in the time that they've been there. Not disappointed by by it by any means, but just not a not a dessert sort of person in, in terms of um, uh, looking to have a meal that's uh, pancakes. So but I am still going to go pancakes, mate. Yeah, so we're both settled on pancakes for that one. Let's uh, flip it over to the footy now. And this is one of the almost, it feels like eternal debates when it comes to the modern product. Golden point versus extra time. Which is better, mate? I am not a massive fan of the golden point. And that's probably shaped by Parramatta's performances in the golden point. I'm probably not a fan of it because it all comes down to teams setting for field goals. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel like setting for field goals is the type of football that rugby league tried to move away from uh, when they the reduced the value from, yeah, from two from points to one. Yeah. And um, teams like South Sydney, who had Eric, the great Eric Sims, who could kick a field goal from anywhere, would work their play around jumping up by two with field goals, and of course, back then the try was only worth three points. So why wouldn't you go for field goal if it's, it was just a mathematical it, proposition, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It just mathematically, and 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 I I think to myself, I can imagine what the football would look like these days if the points different difference between a try and a field goal was only worth was only one point. You can imagine how many field goals would be kicked in modern day rugby league. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I'm not a fan of, of golden points, so I'm going to say um, the, the full period of extra time. I've, I feel like I'm going to be using the same logic I use of pancakes versus waffles. The idea of golden point is fun. Um, and uh, when golden points at its prime 
there's a an element of franticness and and almost controlled chaos that you know sort of can elevate the product, but invariably just comes down to a field golf on right, and you just got two teams taking pot shots from mid to long range, setting up all the blockers and escorts that you can, the wall and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know because extra time. Yeah, with, with extra time, would you have it play until a result or just a mandated uh, period of time? Then it's a draw after that extra time period. Mandated five minutes each way, and then the and then it's a draw. And because I think there's enough people out there who still aren't opposed to one point for each team, and I think you probably satisfy the footy purists by. I having- also like having the team that gets scored on given the right of reply. Uh, I feel yeah. like you know having the one point settling it all can um, also be an anticlimax. What has often been a really competitive game up until that point. Well, if you look at that famous grand final between the Broncos and the Cowboys, where the ball was dropped from the kickoff in the Golden Point, and mm-hmm. bang, we're we're like sixty seconds into Golden Point, and the field goal's going over, and that's it. It's it's decided, and it was. It was basically um, that's all the that's all the Cowboys were interested in doing as soon as they got the chance. Was and it, and that, it, in that, that in that particular scenario, you then have nine minutes to give Ben Hunt, you know, a huge amount of redemption, right? He that, well, obviously in the grand that, final, yeah. you play until there's a you got to play until a result. So it'd be like five minutes and five minutes, then another five minutes, five minutes, uh, if the score's still locked up. But yeah, that could add so much to the narrative of that game by itself. Yeah, if you're a fan, as as you said of complete chaos because that's almost what it is for a lot of teams. Uh, I don't throw Melbourne into that because Melbourne, they uh, will have always literally been the experts at working play with authority and management towards getting a field goal. So there was no surprise that that's what they were going to be throwing at an opposition. But um, Melbourne aside, yeah, it's just chaos out there for the uh, Golden Point. And I, I, I don't like it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. Um, I, I was at first, I liked the prospect of it, like you were talking about. But um, and maybe I again, maybe I've been coloured by Parramatta's results in Golden Point, but I'm not a fan of it. All right, so extra time prevailing here, and which is better? Let's go to one of the modern trends that we've seen in pop culture, and that's the rise of comic books as a sort of film medium now. Marvel Cinematic Universe, or the, the Marvel roster versus the DC roster. So we got what's... Marvel Marvel obviously being the one that's risen to prominence more in terms of the film industry, being uh, brought up by Disney very quickly, and you're talking about sort of heroes like what Iron Man, Captain America, Spider-Man, uh, the whole X-Men roster for... Uh, so on and so forth, into all the Avengers, obviously, versus the DC universe, where I think probably the headline act there, uh, one would be Superman, who is the you know the ultra ultimate vanilla hero that's you know sort of set the superhero industry ablaze. And then you had Batman, uh, you got the Flash, uh, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, uh, who else is there? Aquaman, uh, Green Arrow, Shazam. Who you got, mate? It doesn't have to be a power level thing. It can be just prefer uh, preferential heroes or preferential heroes. Sorry, uh, what universe of uh, superheroes and supervillains are you taking? 
Well, apart from the fact that Marvel could never quite get Howard the Duck um, <laughs> perfected, and I, I, I will put my hand up and say I enjoyed the Howard the Duck comics mainly because uh, the identifying with someone who's trapped in a world that wasn't of his creation was, um, you know, it just it just rang through true to the human spirit, even though it was a duck. And uh, uh, the the unwilling hero that Howard was was uh, was quite a um, an enjoyable read. However, um, in more recent times, I've become a fan of the greater Marvel universe. I, I wasn't in in identifying Howard. I wasn't a big reader of comics. That was just one that I was introduced to. I liked it. I liked the humour. I liked the plot lines that were there in in uh, the Howard the Duck series. So I used to read that, but I didn't read anything beyond that. I wasn't a big comic mm-hmm. uh, reader. Uh, but the, as I said, more recent years, enjoy the Marvel uh, cinema experience. Just recently went and watched the new Doctor Strange movie. For anyone that's watching that, it, it's, it's probably uh, best to watch the TV series WandaVision before you go and see that movie. That's just a little tip that there's a little bit of incongruity um, between the TV series and the, and the movie, but uh, it does help you with background knowledge. So just a little tip with that. But I think in terms of the quality of the movies and the uh, scripts, the dialogue, the humor that's in them, I've got to go for for Marvel above the uh, DC uh, movies, um, yeah. So, I, and I'm assuming we we are debating on the movie experience, aren't we? Not not the comics. So, uh, yeah. Well, I suppose you can take a more holistic approach if you wanted to, but uh, the the medium that most fans would know them of these days would be through the movies for sure. Yeah. So, um, look, I'm not I'm not a massive fan of Superman. Um, the, Batman, the there's been a couple of too. movies I've enjoyed, but um, I don't know. It's I, maybe I'm not a fan of Tim Burton with the movies that he did with uh, Batman. Well, I, that, I just that, that that sort of foundational or sort of early exposure can colour a lot of opinions because I'm taking the opposing stance here. I, I grew up with the Batman animated series, which I felt was uh, had a oh my goodness, Mark Hamill as the Joker in that one, and he did a fantastic job voicing the Joker and giving a lot of uh, life to that character. So I, I, can't, I grew up really enjoying Batman. Like, like you, not much of a Superman fan, and I think, you know, as, you, as a, a young kid, Superman seems so cool, but then when you realise that a character that has like literally one weakness is kind of one-dimensional in that regard. But, yeah, I, I feel the, the Bale and Nolan Batman trilogy were very good cinema. Probably the, probably the best take on in general on the superhero genre the new batman i just watched it was okay but i i, I do like some of the dc roster marvel's become you know and not to sound like a hipster so mainstream now uh, it's sort of it, it's almost overexposure there's a new disney plus series every week there's a new movie every month so yeah mostly due to batman uh but you know a couple other heroes too the flash is pretty cool um yeah i'll, I'll go for the dc universe Okay, so we've got a uh, we've got a tied result there. Um, does that hang on? After we get our winners out of this, does that mean that, say, for example, we're 
we're having uh, waffles up against um, the uh, Golden Point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we'll, we'll keep them as standalone little battles because uh, if, if we had an actual bracket system in place, there'd be some pretty uh, wild results going through. Uh, so uh, yeah, we, okay. We, so we got we got two clear winners, and we've got, and now we've got we're a split, we're splitting points here. Yep, on the yep, third yep. round. What's our next battle? Let's mate? get back to the footy and let's look at two not only all time great Parramatta Reels, but arguably two of the all time greats in their position across different generations, going back to the eighties and the man that uh, would literally put players on his back to score tries, the Guru Eric Grove Senior, uh, or going to the the twenty somethings, the twenty tens and perhaps the, the most complete athlete we've ever seen on the wing in Semi Radradra. Two incredible Parramatta players, two of the all-time great wingers, one obviously having uh, a much shorter career due to opportunities abroad. But uh, who you got when it comes to the best winger? Well, first of all, mate, I'm going to be very disappointed if uh, the tip sheet isn't a isn't – a, um, uh, content that's designed to generate discussion on the TCT uh, site. We we get large listener numbers, very large listener numbers lately, but we're not. It's not there primarily to force discussion. But if we don't get some people jumping in with their opinions on this topic, I mean, we're we're talking I'll, about I'll be... legitimately two of the all time greats on the wing. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely, mate. So and and. Um, so we'll we'll make sure that we we put this topic out there in our um, social media posts to let people know that this is one of the topics that we've debated today. But straight into uh, who's who was the better winger? I have a very clear winner here, mate, and it's and it's Eric Growth Senior, and not by a small margin, but wow. by a, a massive margin. And my rationale behind that is that the two of them were comparable with their with their strike power to score tries but they were poles apart defensively poles apart and and bear in mind that wingers did have a different role back in the 80s compared to their role in the modern game where they are a bit more of a a workhorse so you will get more carries from a uh, a winger, and you might get a winger under a bit more pressure from bombs being put into the corners uh, than what you did back in the back in the day. But Eric Growth and his capacity to make defensive decisions was far superior to that of of uh, Semi. Semi was an unbelievable um, attacking player, but some of his defensive reads. And decisions were um, astounding for someone who was such a, an incredible player. Um, I'll, I'll just pick two things out for you. First of all, Jordan Rapana would have had matches against Parramatta circled on the calendar because he owned Semi every time we played Canberra. Semi would give Jordan a little bit of space on the sideline and Jordan Rapana would say, thank you very much, and um, score literally every time that we played the Raiders. The other instance I want to pick out is, well, I think there were there were two that I should pick out, but I'll, I'll go for the one against the Broncos where we put 50 on the Broncos. Um, I'm not quite sure what year it was. Was it? 2017, I think. 
Yeah, and um, the Broncos ended up getting up to around 30 points in that game. But the final try came after the siren where the Broncos, I think they had a scrum win and went out wide and they kicked it towards the sideline. And bear in mind the siren is gone. All that Semi had to do was to tap the ball over the sideline or kick it over the sideline. He attempted to pick it up running backwards with a with a bouncing ball, missed it, the Broncos picked it up and went and scored. Now, if that was for the win, and it could have you know, it could have been a scenario where a play like that was a last ditch attempt by um the Broncos to to snatch a win after the siren, that would have ranked in one of the all-time fails of uh, of rugby league, wouldn't it? Like that would have been on highlight reels of um, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, <laughs> because the Eels won so well. It's I think it's been forgotten by people. I don't forget moments like that. I look at that and I go, "That's not good. <laughs> That's not good under any circumstance." Um, was Was he also the winger that was involved where um, Bryce Cartwright? Grabbed the win for the Panthers against the Eels, oh, where the kick yeah. went to the went to the corner, and all that had to be done was to spike it again, basically spike the ball over the sideline because the siren Maybe, was going. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I do recall it being, I think, down Parramatta's left, which would imply a semi. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've got a sneaking suspicion that he might have been involved in that as well. So uh, you know, it's that was that sort of defensive decision-making that has me placing Eric Growth Senior well above well above Semi. And don't get me wrong, like, Semi was a freak of a player that just, you know, the, the likes of which you rarely see. And the way he's torn Rugby Union apart, even as a centre, has, has been extraordinary. And if people were to say, if I was to hear that Semi was coming back to Parramatta, I'd probably be doing handstands about it. But... Um, yeah, I this can't is compare. this is a which is better subject. While I will freely concede that you have, sorry, just my dog made a sound in the background. Uh, you have better context uh, to both players, given that you were you know uh, there to witness everything through the eighties firsthand. Whereas my uh, experience and exposure to Guru has been limited to highlight reels and you know going back and watching old footage. And you know, obviously, I grew. I grew. I, I was a full grown adult through Semi's peak. Uh, my argument for why I would take Semi over the Guru is that Eric Grof was a freak, and I, I think we, we talk about athletes in the past and how someone would always hold up to the modern game because everyone's bigger and faster. I think the Guru was someone that if you put him into a modern training program, he'd he'd, he'd dominate. He'd, he'd still be an absolute freak. And you know, talking to the ex-players really uh, validates that point of view to me, as we have with other tip sheets. Uh, but he was a freak in a time when there was a lot of, you know, every man's in the game, a lot of honest toilers and, and guys that really worked hard but weren't necessarily uh, as athletically inclined as the modern game. Semi, on the other hand, was so far better than any other winger, at least offensively, uh, in a time where every player is an athletic freak. Everyone is jacked up, twitched up, runs faster, hits harder, goes longer, you know, than, than they ever have in the NRL era or, or before that. And he still was so far and above untouchable when it came to at least offensive football than anyone else. And I suppose that, that really stood out to me. Um, and that, that would be why I would suggest maybe Semi might be better in the Witches Better Stakes. I will concede that Semi's 
um, performances in light of him being a complete rugby league novice would elevate him a little bit higher. I would probably have him as um, my second winger now um, in in retrospect, although I, I still have that soft spot for Neville Glover. It's going to take a bit for even semi to displace Neville hey, Glover. 82, 82 tries in 94 games as well. Like, what, yeah. a, what a phenomenal strike rate. And that was... Yeah. In some uh, less than stellar Parramatta teams at times, and in some decent Parramatta teams, and with the opposition knowing that he was the guy. Yeah, it's and as I said, I would be doing handstands if um, it was confirmed that Semi was coming back to the Eels right now. I mean, he is a he is although he's not a rugby league player, he is someone who is currently playing rugby. So you look at that and you go. Um, he's relevant. He's relevant now. Oh yeah, still be yeah. still be match fit. Still has the the general skill set. Um, yeah, if, if the club were to announce tomorrow, welcome back, Sammy Rodriguez, you would be doing backflips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you the, play. You uh, play him anywhere in the back line. You know, centre wing. If Guffo's injured, you could play him at fullback. Yeah, but uh, as you pointed out, uh, I having had the opportunity to witness both players in action and to basically be an adult in in witnessing both players in in action um i'm i still I, i'm i'm not even in a quandary over who i'd select i i answer it immediately eric gross senior and this is the one and, i'm really keen to hear from other fans that have had the you know the rare luxury of being able to watch both guru and semi in their prime and hear what they think who is better or which is better well, do you know what? This is why I said I'd be surprised if there's not uh, a lot of responses to this because the question was put to me by a supporter of a greater vintage than myself and uh, he he went for Micah. Oh, sorry, he went for, um, for Semi. For semi. He go. went for Semi. So yeah. this is like uh, how much – obviously there's a lot of – you talk about prospective potential or possibility for Semi because he left early. Uh, but, yeah, this is really keen to see. You know, we're talking about two of the all-time greats. So very interested to see who people think is better. We sort of stirred the, the fires of controversy of this one on the football. Let's move to the music industry and talk about controversy. Uh, going back to probably the, the foundational time of pop music and even rock music, really. Who you got between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? <laughs> now, this—I mean, there might be people say that, that you know we've we've gone back too far in 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 putting forward a a, a question between these two teams. That's uh, two teams. Well, I mean, two, it's, it's not far groups. off, isn't it? Is two teams, two groups? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, I this is how I separate them. Uh, I there is it's rare that there is uh, Beatles tracks that I don't enjoy, whereas for the Stones, there's a collection of songs that I enjoy from the, from the Stones. So I've got one that's, that basically I consider most of what they put out to be quality, and then the, the, the other, the Stones, I consider that there is a collection of songs that I put out 
that they put out that were that were quality, timeless pieces. And um, so for me, the the Beatles win and win hands down. Now that doesn't, as I said, that doesn't mean that there's not um, Stone songs that feature high on my list of favourite songs of all time. I mean, Gimme Shelter. Oh, I think that's perhaps one of the best intros to a rock song that exists. Just the, the guitar intro mm-hmm. on that is just, it's iconic. Um, uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Like, that's even, you know, like, that to me, like, the the Stones for me were at their peak at a time where the Beatles were just coming to an end. Um, I know the, the the Stones' longevity has been absolutely stunning, how, how long they've been around for, but I haven't enjoyed their music since since probably the early 70s. So um, I haven't been a fan of their latter-day music, but, um, yeah, no, the Beatles win. Beatles win. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew up with a couple of friends that love the Beatles, and I'm the opposite. I, I enjoy some of the Beatles songs, but... I also end up skipping a few, which I know probably puts me in the minority because I know the Beatles are considered one of the, if not the greatest bands of all time. Whereas for the Stones, I'm a bit more of a rocker, so there's just like so much of stuff that I have on playlists when I'm, you know, doing anything around the house, going out, you know, sort of just chilling. Um, can't get no satisfaction. You mentioned Simply for the Devil. Uh, what else we got? Uh, uh, you can't get, always get what you want. Is like one of those ones that it always pops up in pop culture in terms of like movies and and. TV shows for you know those that poignant moment where a character goes through something big and they don't get what they want but they get what they need. Uh, they've they've just got a lot of great stuff. Jumping Jack Flash is another real good bopper for me, um, and not so much their rendition of it, but I feel like Wild Horses has inspired a lot of good covers. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, you know Beast of Burden. Uh, they've they've just got a lot of and like, like you, the you know, the modern stuff isn't necessarily the greatest, but I think that you go back to the prime catalogue and there's just so many good rock songs and that's more my sort of uh, tempo as uh, uh, Whiplash would have me uh, saying Mate I think um, I might have to introduce you to some Beatles tracks that maybe you're not quite as familiar with um, my I mean my um, my skipping tracks with the Beatles just tends to be basically anything that Ringo sang <laughs> is, is, Ringo just catching uh, strays on the tip sheet <laughs> and, and and that's not to say that I'm not not a fan of uh, of Ringo Starr because I you know I, I I am I think he he's you know the people who criticise his drumming don't realise what he provided uh, for the Beatles but you know the, some of the some of the songs that he was given to sing um, look I'm not a country and western fan and some of the stuff he was given were either novelty songs or or songs that verged on country and western and that wasn't that's not my bag so i yep. did tend to i did tend to skip some of his stuff but everything else and and, and i i reckon i could pick out um uh beatles songs which um you know are, are possibly less well known that uh weren't album tracks and uh i don't know if they weren't necessarily rarities but Maybe you're not quite as familiar with them, Forty. I might have to, I might have to shoot them your way. Then again, it mightn't be your cup of tea. Uh, like, well, like I said, I, I, love- I had some pretty big Beatles uh, friends going through high school, and 
I, I listen to a fair bit of stuff and it's not like it's bad. I, I, I do enjoy it. Just uh, like I said, the, the Stones play more to my rock roots. And I know the Beatles did have some rock tunes as well. But uh, yeah, I feel, like, I feel like the Stones sort of were the forerunners of a lot of the music that I enjoy now still. Yeah. Um, you, you're not a fan of songs like Rain? From the Beatles? Yeah. No, I, like I said, I, I do enjoy some of the Beatles songs. Just uh, I, I just feel like the Stones resonate more for me in general. Oh, yeah. Well, look, if we all had similar taste, wouldn't yeah, it be yeah, a boring yeah. yes. existence? And oh, this is one oh. of those which is better ones where, you know, like we said, music is so subjective that uh, I could definitely see the Beatles coming on top, but I would imagine there'll be a few other uh, Stones fans like me in the comments. Oh look! I mean, I, I look at every every so often. I'll I'll take a deep dive into Beatles albums that I haven't listened to for a while, and um, and I'll rediscover um, songs like "Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey," and um, uh, the perhaps even the entire Rubber Soul album. Um, people rate the Sgt. Pepper's album as the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. but the the Rubber Soul album um, is just um, amazing. So is the Revolver album. So Revolver, Rubber Soul, and then and then even lately I've been um, listening to um, the um, Abbey Road and just amazed at the at side two, the the Abbey Road Suite, which uh, where the tracks basically run into each other and. Uh, and I, I think to myself, the the way that they kept staying, like one, just one step ahead of whatever else was happening, and how other groups looked to emulate what they were doing was um, was something to. It was just something else that was back. And and look, as I said, the the Stones, yeah, great. Uh, uh, you know, really enjoy it because I think if you're looking at an era where there was a unique craft that was evolving. That's the 60s. Um, I don't think you see the the level of um, diversity. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. See, like, oh, look, I think your dog's agreeing with me. I don't know. Maybe he's disagreeing. You got pretty aggressive there. I don't know. I think so, you might, um, might have heard a bird. Look, <laughs> I, I could probably devote um, multiple podcasts to um, to – uh, musical preferences and choices and, mm-hmm. and what have you, but this is this is one where we've come out uh, with a with a draw, <laughs> and, and somehow, despite not having the flag and cup to uh, preview this week, we're still going to have a pretty lengthy podcast. And I suppose that's the nature of a, a game like <laughs> which is better. You end up debating some uh, pretty interesting topics. Yeah, well, so rather than me uh, waffling on now about uh, individual. Uh, Beatles tracks that you should be familiar with and should have swayed you for um, for enjoying the Beatles. Uh, we'll move on and we'll get into our preview. Hey, eh? yep, let's do that. Alrighty, well, let's get into it, mate. We mentioned at the top of the show only the one game this week: Magic Round up at SunCorp Stadium in Brisbane. Uh, three days, eight games. That's a lot of action for one surface, but it's held up well enough in the past. Let's hope it does so for the Eels who play on Sunday at four o five p.m. They're the penultimate game. In the eight-round fixture, I think is it the West Tigers that follow us? Um, if I quickly have a look on the draw, 
It is, yeah, West Tigers Cowboys are the follow-up game to our 6.25 p.m. kickoff. But for the Parramatta Eels, they're looking to back up from a real iconic win against the Penrith Panthers in round nine as they take on the Sydney Roosters. It's a fifth v. sixth matchup on the ladder Eels with the ascendancy on ladder positioning there. They'll be taking on a tricolors outfit that look like this. Captain of the team from fullback is James Tedesco. They've got Daniel Tupo and the young gun Joseph Suwali on the wings. Paul Momorowski and Joseph Manu are the centres. It's a pretty formidable backline when all is said and done. In the halves, another young gun, Sam Walker. He'll partner Luke Keary, who was the halfback. Front row, Jared Weir Hargraves. Connor Watson, who comes in for the injured, uh, injured, injured, injured Sam Verrills, was the player I'm looking for. And, uh, Jared Ware Hargraves will partner CSI Takaaho, who replaces Lindsay Collins. So a couple of injuries there in the front row for the Chooks, but they do get Connor Watson back to help shore up the dummy half position. In the back row, it's Angus Crichton, Satili Tupanua, and Victor Radley. On the bench, Drew Hutchinson, Fletcher Baker, Nat Butcher, and Daniel Saluka Fafita. Their extended roch, uh, roster, not Rochester, geez, features Lachlan Lamb, uh, Nafahu White, Ben Marshk, Ben Thomas, Kevin Naguama, Adam Kieran and Tukuha Tapua. For the Eels, they're going to be unchanged from the team that took on the Penrith Panthers. Like we said, there was a bit of speculation that Murata Niakore might be back, but you explained why the media got to that realisation, 60s. There was a bit of speculation that uh, Sean Russell might be rushed back into the team. I suppose that could still happen given he's part of the 24, but for now, the Eels look like this with Quinton Gufferson captain the team at fullback, Hayes Perriman, Bailey Simonson on the left and right wings respectively, Will Penasini and Tom Opacic in the centres. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, the 5'8 and halfback in the front row. Looking to back up from their huge games, Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paulo. Reed Marnie, the dummy half. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i and Nathan Brown are the back rowers. On the bench, we've got a couple of big boppers in Makahesi Makatoa, Ryan Madison and Oregon Kafusi. Bryce Cartwright, the utility forward. Extended roster, Wirimu Greg, Jake Arthur, Mitch Rain, Sean Russell, who we mentioned earlier, Samuel Luizu, Ellie Osgaham and Brendan Hands. Uh, main referee, Adam G, Touchies, Phil Henderson, and Casey Badger, Ashley Klein in the bunker. Yeah, and this is going to be a big, big game. Both teams, I think consistency or lack thereof has been a theme for both the blue and gold and the tricolors, while the Eels bottomed out to the West Tigers and I suppose more recently North Queensland Cowboys. The uh, tricolors have lost to what? The Bulldogs, the Dragons, and the Newcastle Knights this year. So some really bad losses for both teams. Arguably, the Eels have had the higher highs in their defeats of both the Melbourne Storm and the Penrith Panthers, both of which were a tra- away trip sorry, for the Parramatta Eels. But, like we said, both rosters looking to find more consistency. We know the Roosters have been plenty capable of it in the past, given that they've won three premierships under Trent Robinson. The question is, who's going to be more consistent on Sunday? Sixties? You have to respect a team that includes the like of Tedesco, Manu, um, Luke Keary, Hargraves. Um, I'm a big fan of Takiaho. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to believe he's going to the ESL. I mean, he's not young. I think he's going on 30 now. But you think that even like the Dolphins could have used his expertise as just a, a you know a storied veteran in the front row. Well, I'm uh, like look at their pack. Hargrave, Sakiaho, Crichton, Tupanua, Radley. Yeah, it's, it's not too but bad. That's That really does uh, match up quite strongly against the Eels pack. And then I think Connor Watson offers a greater threat than um, Verrill's out of dummy half. The, he is going to pose questions with his running game and his support play. 
he perhaps his service might not be that of a regular dummy half because he's he's a manufactured dummy half slash utility player. Um, they would obviously look at uh, spelling him with uh, Drew Hutchison, mm-hmm. who again is another manufactured fill-in dummy half for them. But I I look at their team, and it's it's right up there in terms of strength of roster with the best teams in the Premiership. So you think to yourself, what isn't clicking for them? What what's What's going wrong? There's in a sloppiness their in their execution that we're not used to when associating with Trent Robertson rosters. James Tedesco started the season a little bit slower. He's been better in recent weeks. But I think the big one that people, a lot of people are zeroing in on is the fact that their halves aren't gelling as a combination. You've got two primary running halves in Walker and Keary, and there's no organizational, or there's a lack of organization and distribution. Yes. And I'm going to throw, and this might be somewhat controversial. I think up until last week, I don't think James Tedesco had hit his straps whatsoever this no, season. No, not at all. And that's why I think the that sort of quiet frenzy about the New South Wales fullback discussion was starting to heat up up until Tedesco's hat-trick against the Titans. Yeah, so it it just wasn't gelling around their spine. If 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 I'm to if I'm to take a shot at their problem. It's around. It was around the spine, and that really goes to what you were saying about not being cohesive. However, I mean, when you look at who they who have defeated them this year, I mean that's that's not a a list you'd be proud of. But by the same token, um, having a major contest with them this week, or even um, having the Roosters emerge victorious isn't anywhere near out of the realms of possibility this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I am just, I'm very wary of a team that has that many quality players. Oh, you look at that roster, yeah. exactly. And we talked about the inconsistency, both the Eels and Roosters, but you just know that if they get it together, they're going to be premiership caliber. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is where it comes down to the Eels listening to that message that BA was putting out, not just for them, but for the the NRL world in general about we are not yet an elite team because elite teams produce that sort of performance that the Eels produced against the Panthers on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And until Parramatta can rise to that occasion then um, there will always be question marks in matches like this. Um, it's it's one of the... I think this is one of those games that's going to say a lot of where the Eels are at. Um, I'm expecting a, a win. Um, and were they to lose, um, it doesn't mean that I would be in any way concerned, obviously the manner of the loss might have something to do with it, but I, I think it's possible to have a, a great contest in this particular game and no uh, fans of neither team losing heart out of a out of a loss. I, I, you know, it has that sort of potential, the same as the, the Penrith-Parramatta match had that, uh, had supporters coming out of it and not 
losing faith like Penrith supporters. There was nothing for them to lose faith in after that loss to the Eels. The Panthers played a very good game of rugby league and were beaten by the better team on the day, but there was nothing about their performance that said, we've got a problem this year. Exactly. We just had Parramatta rising to a level that was good enough to beat them on the day. And this strikes me as the same sort of game where either team could raise that little bit better than the other team. And it doesn't mean that it's, uh, oh, well, you know, things look pretty bad from here. We shouldn't have lost this game. I, I don't think either team, if, if both teams play to their potential, that's the sort of game that we can get where, you know, both supporters come away um, happy with how the team performed. But again, I come back to, it has to be that sort of game from Parramatta this week. We can't afford to. We can't afford to go back into that um, inconsistent application. No, you got to. You got to get through your completions. Play your systems. We talk about this all the time on the tip sheet when it comes to previewing because Parramatta are now a team where if you take care of your business, invariably you're going to win the game. And yeah. you, know, you do have to respect opposition plays and there's certain matchups you absolutely need to nullify or try and negate as much as possible. You can't always shut a player out of a game because they're superstars. That's just what happens. You've got to just n- neglect, uh, sorry, nullify them as much as possible rather than completely shut them out. But for the Eels, you want to get back to or continue to pound the rock up the middle, use that you know, just dominant middle rotation of Junior, Reg, Brown, Madison, and then you've got the, the complementary pieces in Makatoa and Kafusi. And yeah, you got to you got to do that, and then take your opportunities through the spine. And we saw uh, last week against Penrith that the Eels were able to use different points of attack with their back rolls and their centres as well. But I think this is a game where you're going to see Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown and Quinton Gufferson and Reed Marnie too need to be at the forefront because the just look at that roster we talked about. They've got an incredible back line. They've got a highly experienced and effective forward pack. You know they, they haven't got a big weakness on paper. You just got to play good football across the park. Yeah, man. And if you look at um, Parramatta's first two tries against the Panthers, they basically came from um, unstructured play, where the Eels were based in the in the Panthers' quarter line, and you had um, a couple of players taking a shot and getting the offload away. So you, for that first one, you had Will Penasini, who had a bit of heads up. Footy where saw kick uh, out down, yeah, kick hours down on the ground. It's the last tackle, so you know, put that in context. You got the nineteen-year-old center on the last tackle, hits the ball at the try line, knows that Gutho is there, and manages to get that flick pass to him for the try. And then in the in the uh, Reed Marnie penalty try, you had uh, Sean Lane hitting it up the blind side, and then Reed backing up on the inside again. The flick offload from um, from Sean Lane, and Reed gets given the penalty try due to the interference from Jamin Salmon. Um, and they're, they're just moments where the Eels haven't played with any structure on that particular play. They've just played heads up what's in front of them. But that's, and that, that's a compliment almost to... To what we see with Melbourne and Penrith, especially Melbourne, who you hear people like Matty Johns, you know, the, those sort of pundits always talk about how Melbourne can slip in and out of structure so quickly and comfortably. There are times yeah. where you need to play fundamental football and, and go set for set and go block for block and exploit the, you know, 
the sort of fundamentals of the game. And there are times when you need to be able to say, you know what, there is an opportunity here. We need to take our shot. Yeah, and and the reason that I mention that is because the Eels had got themselves into field position to be able to have a shot like that, and it wasn't none of the, neither of those plays came from wide shifts. They were they were heads up football where the 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 they weren't trying to force anything that was happening with wide structured play or wide shifts that haven't been earned. It was the moment came, there was patient football, there was, um, the, the they were getting field position that was there. And when that opportunity presented for someone to have a crack like they did, there was someone backing up there that was able to get the ball down or, or, or to get in a position to be able to get the try. Now, if you take it back to that game against the Cowboys, there were a couple of moments where they missed those opportunities. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, there was not the patience or discipline involved in that game. Now, we saw similar against the Tigers where there wasn't the patience and discipline in the performance. Now, the difference being the Tigers were not in good form. They raised a bit for that form against the Eels, but I still believe that they, any other top eight team beats the Tigers true. on the Tigers' performance that day. True. What we saw from that was when play when Parramatta don't play as they should, they can be beaten by one of the lower teams. What we what we saw against the Cowboys was when Parramatta don't play as they should against one of the better performing teams, they got hammered. You know, and and we can't afford to go out against the Roosters and not play at our best because they have the sort of players in their team that can do a number on the Eels. Mm -hmm. And and I don't I don't steer away from that whatsoever. But what I believe is because they do have the quality of players in their team, the Parramatta will rise to the occasion and it will be one of those tight, high quality contests, regardless of who wins. And uh fair fair points there. Looking at the individual matchups here, unfortunately, we're not going to see the uh, Kings or ex-Kings schoolboys matchup between Suwali and Penasini because they're both right-edge players, one a centre, one a winger, which means they're going to be on opposing flanks. Uh, but fortunately for the Eels, and you know, this is a little bit of football providence, Daniel Tupu, who is just, I mean, their, their go-to, their pet play when nothing else is working, kick crossfield to Tupu and it's just so effective. That matchup will be against Bailey Simonson. He plays left wing for the Roosters, which means he's up against the right edge of the Eels. And uh, if that was up against Hayes Perham, that that would have just been all day, I think. And they're still going to go up up against Simonson with Tupo, who just is a phenom in the air. But at least Bailey has the height to at least you know make those catches contested. So I ask you this then: Do you think they're likely to throw the play towards Suwali, who with himself is a physical? True. Specimen and, well, that, and will that, have an advantage over that edge, that edge is, if I get this right, it's Suwali, it's uh, Manu, and is that the Crichton edge too? Or is that the uh, Tupanua edge? I can't, I can't recall which, which I is think the is, I think the right side is Crichton's side. Well, I could yeah. see a lot of traffic going to that side then, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Tupanua plays on that left. 
yeah. So yeah, you're right. I think you I think you are you are spot on about that. So No, I said left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tupinor plays <laughs> on their on their well yeah. Yes, you're you're right about the left. <laughs> yeah, but you're not left about the right. Um, who's on first? <laughs> who's on first? What's on second? How's on third? <laughs> uh, that is a classic though. I do love that skit. <laughs> um, but yes, I could see the Roosters absolutely going down their right edge a plenty in this game. And that means that Hayes Paramore, if there is a late call up for Sean Russell, which we haven't spoken about, I don't know how much of that is a factor, how confident they are after him, him only having 80 minutes of football under his belt to come back into first grade. Uh, whoever is there, they're going to get targeted for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, my apologies if you're getting a bit of uh, noise in the background now. Um, I relocated myself just out the, uh, in, relaxing on a chair out the front of the house. And. Uh, for a quiet street, we suddenly got a bit of traffic that decided to go past. So I've substituted in a bird going through his whistling repertoire to uh, the sound of traffic going past. So, uh, <laughs> like I said, just vintage, a bit of, vintage Australiano, mate. Just a bit of had a bit of bush noise before, a bit of now car noise in the background. Yeah, it's living the dream. Well, well, the, the amazing thing is, is that it, it's uh, it is bushland that's opposite. So um, I'd normally expect. Uh, a, you know, a collection of bird noises, but in the in the distance, um, I guess it's, it could possibly be a bit of school traffic that's um, that's coming past at the moment with people getting their kids home from school. That's the only reason you'd get traffic on this road at this time of day. But anyway, we I digress. Um, so, mate, um, that forward battle I mentioned it before. It's it's quite the lineup on on both teams. Who do you think has got the edge? Oh, this is this is real tough because they've got a. I think the Eels have the better front row. I think that while Warrior Hargraves and Takiaho are still formidable bookends in their own right, uh, Junior and Reg are on the wrong. On sorry, on the right side of the uh, the age ledger, and they just have a little bit more juice in their tanks. And that's not to say that they can't be outplayed on a given game, but I think just across the aggregate of an entire season and, and more they're going to be better than the other two bookends on the opposing side. But in the back row, the Eels have a good back row. Um, Sean Lane, you know, is a nice point of difference forward. Ice is just an absolute hammer, and Brownie is a workhorse. But I look at Crichton and Tupanua, and they're two phenomenal edge back rowers. Crichton is just an ultra-polished, big athletic specimen. Tupanua, a little bit rangier, but he is a tackle-busting machine. And then at lock forward, I think Radley is a bit overrated, but that's not to say he's not a good player. And I think that um, he, he's, he's a player that you talk about bringing the juice and bringing the energy. He can do that for the Roosters with the aggressive football. And obviously his ability to play as that middle half or, or distributing lock forward. I think. Yeah, that, I think if you're talking about a player to lift a performance, if it's down a bit or the energy levels are down a bit, then you're, you're looking at a player like Radley to inject that. Like. Like you, I I think he is somewhat overrated, but only from the perspective of um, being a considered a, a representative. Yeah, level exactly. He, he's still a plus first grader that can absolutely influence a game between two great teams. Um, yeah. So if I give the Eels the nod in the front row, I think I don't think it's unfair to suggest that the Roosters might have the slight ascendancy in the back row just because I think Crichton and Tupanua. Uh, and quite in particular, just raising that that floor so high. But the wild card here is that Ryan Madison comes off the bench, and I think you're looking at those two benches. You're talking Hutchison, Baker, Butcher, Saluka Fafita, 
Makatoa, Madison Kafusi or Kafusi, sorry, and Cartwright. And I think Madison is the the big plus one to that uh, that sort of formula. Well, that was going to be my next question to you: was how much the benches will be contributing to the result of this game because the Eels bench is not at its strongest without Murata Nyakore. Um, however, um, you do have, as you've mentioned, someone in the sort of form that Ryan Madison is in. You've got um, a couple of workhorses outside of him in Makatoa and Kalfusi, and then your fourth component of the bench in, in Cartwright is someone that uh, BA has indicated that he, he's giving minimal minutes to. Now, he's capable of producing a magic moment, which we saw in the game against the Dragons with that freak pass, mm-hmm. and uh, that we also saw when he uh, created the only try against the Cowboys with the, the blind side. Play, yep, exactly. Um, so he, he's got that sort of um, mind that's set towards playing what's in front of him and um, rather than necessarily being a structured player. But uh, BA has been, he's reluctant. He likes to have his, his back rowers play 80 minutes. He doesn't like to replace them if they don't need replacing. He obviously doesn't see Cartwright as uh, a player to come on and give a significant rest to one of his back rowers. He obviously doesn't see him as a as a middle. Um, he's got the other three players there as as middle rotations. So um, yeah, I, look, I, like you, I think Maddo gives us an edge over the um, Roosters bench. Maybe that tips the forward battle slightly in the Eels' favour. Um, I, again, I come back, I, I have concerns about the return of Connor Watson because I do rate someone with with pace and the um, self-belief to back themselves running yeah, out of dummy Ver- Verrills is obviously the better distributor from the base of the ruck, but Watson can ask a lot more questions, I think, of, of fatiguing ruck defenders. That's my That's my concern. And we are two weeks after that that Darwin game. It's sort of like um, you know when you when you're going through a, a a tough exercise regime. If you haven't been um, to the gym or involved in training for a while, and then the and then the it the physical impact hits you a few days later. That's the it's not dissimilar with the um, with a tough game where it doesn't always hit a team. The very next match, like a, a team can be fresh for the next match, but two weeks afterwards, there can be that flow-on effect of a a really tough, physically draining encounter. And for the Eels playing in Darwin, that's really what um, what they went through up there. And and for anyone that uh, that hasn't read the bumpers up that I've uh, just dropped earlier today, or I should say Thursday, because we might not put this um, tip sheet up till Friday. But um, I raised the question of the value of the Darwin trip. So if you've got thoughts on that, um, you know, definitely jump in, add your thoughts to the bumpers up column. Um, But I I do have concerns with how we now travel up to Brisbane after doing the trip up to Darwin with the heat and what 
what eventuated there, the way we had to lift for that Penrith game in in only a few days. Uh, we played four games in eighteen days over that period up to the Penrith game. That was a that was a big physical toll on the team. We've had now a nine day turnaround coming into this game. Now, does that work in our favour? Um, we certainly feel like we needed the rest, but are we going to see any sort of physical letdown for the team? Are we going to see anything mm-hmm. um, where you can see the toll that's been exacted on that on them after uh, for that uh, particular period of uh, of a month of footy? A month of footy in eighteen days. Yeah, so, and so I mean, this is Parramatta. Parramatta just came off their first non-six day turnaround. No, this will be Parramatta's first non-six day turnaround. Sorry, in a month, right? Uh, yeah. So that that hopefully plays into our hands. But on the flip side, you got to talk about the toll that that month of football has taken, and there's been some very physical football in there, culminating in that win over Penrith. And the Roosters are going to be no pushovers on Sunday. And you're playing on a well-worn track too. That's the other factor as well. Obviously, you don't hope that injuries become. Uh, a, a sub story to the game on Sunday, but given that there is some rain due on Friday night, mostly I think I think there's uh, between thirty to sixty mils due on Friday, and then a bit lighter through from there on in. Um, if the track does get torn up, you always start getting concerned about knees and ankles and whatnot. Uh, and and look, I think that's a fair point that you raise. Is that we are game seven in Magic Round, where those previous six games have taken place on the exact pitch that we're playing on, uh, the second game of the day, I wouldn't like to be the Tigers or um, who's oh, the Tigers Cowboys, yeah. Good good Lord, no. That's. I just hope that no team suffers any injuries pertaining to the, the churn on the turf, but it just feels like an inevitability. Yeah. Um, that's – I mean, maybe the – Maybe that ground is in is in really good nick, and they have good, excellent ground staff who can ensure that after after every game that you that you're not got divots that are missing or holes in the turf around the place because it's so easy for a, a, an ankle to turn in a hole in the ground. It's um, uh, but anyway. Um, so, are, are you ready to make a prediction? Yeah, mate? let's get the predictions, mate. Um, I'll, I'll lead off the score prediction in this one. A lot of people, when we're chatting to this, like to my mates, were predicting a, a torrid, a tight affair, given the conditions or the supposed conditions and the fact that the Roosters will play us tight. I went for a little bit of a bold, I'm not crazy bold, but I went for a more open game. Eels prevailing 24 to 12. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for a, a similar sort of result to what happened at Penrith. I'm going to say um, the Eels 26, Roosters 24. Mm-hmm. As as the result, um, I mean, you take those wins, even if it's only two points. Yeah, I, I in all honesty, I just think it's going to be um, a game that's going to. Well, I suppose if I'm predicting twenty six twenty four, I'm talking about fifty points scored in the match. So it's a relatively high um, points tally uh, in a game. Um, but I, I I just feel as if each team hasn't quite got their defences sorted as they should mm-hmm. be. Um, and I, I think that there's strike power in each team to get um, the tries on the board as well. Yeah, I, honestly, I think 
it's going to come down to um, just a couple of points in it. So um, what about your um, first try scorer? I've, I've been riding Bowie Simonson hard the last couple of weeks. And to be fair, he should have got first try against the, I know at the very least, the Cowboys. I don't think against Penrith there was an opportunity really. So uh, knowing I'm going to do is knowing that he'll probably score first try this week, I'm going to move away from the poor man and, and let him score the first try for once. And I'll go to Mitchell Moses with a nice little uh, show and go or maybe even a chip kick with a bit of heads up footy. Well, this is where uh, Mitchell Moses is probably in trouble because he was my tip as well. <laughs> there Let's we go. So we're both on the Moses bandwagon for FTS this week. I think that that'll be pretty cool to see if we can both get it right. Uh, but yeah, yeah it just, and, 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 and I think it'll be interesting because last week he played that really strong game management role. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was actually going to say that he was he did the right job against the Panthers, but you throw that in and the fact that you know we, we called not just him but the entire spine a bit too passive against the Cowboys and it just feels like there's a, a big game coming up where he's going to stretch his legs out. Yeah, yeah. So um, that now leaves for um, best on field, mate. Best on field, it, I mean, it's kind of hard not to go for the Mitchell Moses double if he's going to be FTS and also running the ball a lot. But for the sake of keeping it interesting, just going a different direction, um, I mean, Matto's been so good off the bench. Can he make it another week in a row? Can it be another forward? Can it be a junior Paulo kind of week? I think it might be a junior junior Paulo, sorry, kind of week. I'm, I'm going to um, select Ice. In this one, because another, another guy that's got the hot hand too, I like it. Yeah, and not only that, I think I you mentioned the edge of the Roosters in in terms of their strike power. I'm not entirely convinced about them defensively, mm-hmm. and I think um, there might be an avenue there for Ice to get across for one, maybe another double. There you go. All right, so a couple of uh, bold and brash predictions there. Going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Like we said, Eels kick off at 4 or 5 p.m. out at Suncorp Stadium on Sunday. Got to hope that field holds up. Got to hope the Eels turn up and play some good footy. Because if they do, there's a chance to create a little bit of a breach in the ladder, I think. Uh, yeah, the Roosters are already one win behind the Eels. If they win this week, it potentially creates a two-game two buff between them. Well, it does create, two, it does create a two-game buff between them and the Roosters with the Seagulls and Broncos also on 10 points. Um, so we could see a bit of a separation of the top five this week. Oh, look, I, in all honesty, I think there is a separation between the top five or six and the rest of the competition again. Um, potentially that might end up being the top four, although um, you'd have to say that the Cowboys have been the unexpected uh, participant yeah, Cowboys and Broncos board. both both surging now, but especially the Cowboys. Yeah, so um, I'm expecting the Broncos to stay around the edge of the eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that they will make the eight. My call at the start of the season was that uh, the Rabbitohs would be the big. Um, yeah, we, we both uh, we both were on the Rabbitohs sliding and the the Cowboys being spoon. And it looks like we got at least one of those two predictions right. <laughs> yeah, look, I. I think it's fair to say we didn't anticipate the rise of some of the younger no, Cowboys. Yeah, players. and for all the smoke about the the sort of butting of heads between Tal Malolo and Todd Payton, they've seemed to have uh, made amends and, and gotten on the same page. And just that that team is performing so wonderfully. Some of their I wouldn't say bargain bin pickups, but 
guys like uh, Chad Townsend and uh, Dearden from the Broncos, who were almost cast-offs from their previous clubs, have found a second lease on life. Yeah, and and I have to I have to be honest. I, I mean, I regard Chad Townsend, or I, I did regard him as just an average, decent first grade player. Um, Dearden wasn't on my no I mean, radar like a complete as a player yeah. as a as a first grader at all. But there's still a lot of water going that bridge. Cowboys playing great football now. The season is a marathon, not a sprint. So I have to wait and see how they finish when all all said and done at the end of the regulation season. But that's that's probably why I said that um, you know it's top five at the moment. That there's a bit of a um, I think a, a class difference between in the in the uh, division you know dividing the team the competition up at that top four and then basically the teams below it. But um, you know if it stays as five, I'm probably going to be surprised still. Because I, I you know, the, the, I'm to, still to, surprised yeah, by the Cowboys. Giving them their due, they are doing everything right uh, in the context of the first part of the season, the first third. And oh, that's, absolutely! That's I mean, we, as Parramatta supporters, we have to first we have hand, to acknowledge yeah. mm-hmm. the number, the absolute number that they did on us, and um, yeah, it, it was it, it was the sort of game where, and I and I, I keep coming back to it, but you know, there was the criticism about the. Uh, positional changes of the Eels for the game. And I said after the game that it, it wouldn't have mattered if Dylan Brown had played at 5'8 because our team didn't front up. They just yeah, didn't. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it is interesting you talk about those positional changes. The Cronulla Sharks are doing something similar this week with their form playmaker, Nico Hines, who shifts, yeah. out, shifts out the halves. How, and, how, interesting, how interesting is that? Because Admittedly, he's playing fullback where he can still be heavily involved, but... You take him out of his specialist role, right? And that's you know, just interesting to see another you know top sort of contender this year doing something similar. Well, uh, I, Paul Kent did um, get into that on NRL three hundred and sixty, where he he raised that um, you know, supporters weren't getting stuck into um, the the sharks for their changes that they um, they brought in, and um, they they brought in Braden Trindle. Into the halfback role in moving um, Nico Hines out of that uh, fullback role, and you know you you have to think to yourself, well, um, have they got no other option uh, around that other than moving their number one performer out of his mm. out of his fa- favoured or, or his most successful position? And and as you mentioned, he is a full he has been a fullback. There's no there's no question about. Um, will he go okay there? The question is moving him away from the position that's causing success for the team. Their coach, who is everyone's darling at the moment, is not is not really coming under criticism for that, nor should he. And and in much the same way as it was um, tough to criticise BA when the options had to be weighed up about what was the best with the players that were available. So anyway, interesting times, and I think as they... They said last night, well, maybe we'll wait and see how their result goes before, yeah, exactly, before uh, casting before any stones or, or crowning new kings, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but as always, um, I think we should probably wrap it up after <laughs> going on and on and on. Um, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Hope you enjoyed uh, that little segment of Which Is Better. If you did, we'll bring it back every now and then when we need to fill a bit of the radio space or podcast space, as it were. Uh, but, yeah, 
catch you guys after the Sunday showdown for the Instant Reaction podcast. And otherwise, when we we'll talk see... about an Eels win, a mighty yes, Eels victory, exactly. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week for all of the uh, round eleven previews and round ten debriefing. Go the Eels. <laughs>